Salofa and welcome to the Samoan Scientist podcast. Today we have a special guest, Ant Bavia, who's going to talk about his journey as an Indigenous scientist. Let's go. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Ant. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me here today. We we're at the beautiful grounds of Auckland University of Technology. And today we're just going to have a little talanoa korero about your journey into science. Yeah, mm. and I'm so excited because I've watched a couple of clips about you. Stalked no you way. A little bit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, I hope it's not Police Team 7. No. <laughs> so I'm really like hyped to hear your story. So just for our listeners and our viewers, could you just give us a little introduction about yourself, please? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, uh, kia ora, first of all. No uh, Ko Anthony Vavia Tokuingoa. So my name is Anthony Vavia. I'm from the Cook Islands, uh, in a little island called Mitiaro, oh. and uh, I have grown up here in New Zealand. Um, and I have a career, or well, I am pursuing a career in marine biology. Grew up in South Auckland. That went to, I eventually went to Onihunga High School, just one of the best high schools around. Yeah. But, but <laughs> what can you do? Um, and yeah, so at the moment I'm. Uh, doing my PhD here at AUT. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, I was um, just saying earlier that um, how I was thinking that people listen to podcasts. Why not use that as a plat- you know, platform to share my experiences and you know around science or the environment or um, the views of others. Exactly. And uh, then when you got in touch with me, I thought, ah, I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, sweet. Um, so honestly, thanks for. Thanks for having me here today, and just um, uh, I'm looking forward to you know part of the you know being a part of this Talanoa mm. and um, you know just sharing views and stories you know. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get into science? Because I don't know. I have a weird relationship with science. It's not something that I aspire to be. So was it something for you as a kid that you really liked about science or what was it? Yeah, um, well growing up I, I used to play a lot of like video games mm. as, a, as a kid and um, part of those games would be, you know, special powers where you drink potions to be invisible or something. Oh, and I was thinking of Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> no, t- no, honestly, that's exactly, and, and Crash that's Bandicoot game, and yeah. there was like, oh yeah, and yeah, all these old um, PlayStation games and medieval and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I had this this idea that I could become a scientist and make potions that could make me invisible. Whoa, and I love that. You know, yeah, dreams. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's and cool. then, um, but getting older and going through intermediate and um, my early years of high school, I wanted. I, I was, you know, iffy. Science wasn't in the, you know wasn't part of my plans and in fact I, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to become an actor when I started becoming a bit more conscious about oh geez this is you know this is my future I'm talking about I need to you know this is the rest of my life I need to start thinking seriously about what I want to do what do I enjoy and basically what I was after um, was a career or more so a lifestyle mm-hmm. that involved adventure and exploration mm. and uh, you know discovering new things and at the same time solving something mm-hmm. being being part of a solution or helping people or helping the world in some form 
And when did you realize this? Was this like year 12 or beginning of high school? Uh, so end of year 10, beginning of year 11. Yep. So I, I shared that discussion with my old man, my dad, and he said, oh, well, mate, why don't you become a marine biologist? Wow. I thought, whoa, big words. Yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is <was> that? that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fancy. <laughs> yeah. So I had no idea what that was and um, because I grew up uh, fishing and just, you know, going to the oh. beach and stuff. I was into marine life, had a conversation with Google, you know, trying to find out what this marine biology mm. was. And, um, yeah, reading into it, I thought, man, this, this, sounds like me you know exploring the ocean and seeing things that people have never seen before and I thought yeah I I could do that that sounds like I would fit that shoe um, and so since then since year 11 um, I started taking you know all the sciences at um, Onehunga which was the uh, biophysics and chem mm -hmm. what about um, stats and calculus oh, and, and stats and stats um, and then English of course and Did I would you have like a fun subject with that, or was it just the sciences <laughs> and English? The science, yeah, no, no. That was the expense of pursuing, you know, being serious about a career was right. giving up those fun. Oh no, I lied. Mm. There was one fun, fun subject which was outdoor education, and that was oh. you know getting outdoors, uh, you, you know, doing multiple, uh, you know, variety of activities. That fits um, really nicely with the marine biology. I know. Wow. It was, oh, my That's cool. life. That's cool. Uh, it was uh, like an outdoor fix too, and not so mm. hardcore in the academic side of things. Yeah. So allowing your brain to rest, I, I guess. But, yeah, going through with those three topics, it was at the expense of uh, a lot of fun things. Mm. I, w I would also get uh, challenged in high school where people would say, oh, you know, you're doing these hardcore subjects and everything, and why, why don't you do calculus, you know, just top it off and be smarter. And I'd have to emphasize it's not about being smart. I don't need calculus for, you know, mm. marine biology. I need stats, I need to be able to record data. Oh yeah, but, you know, people try to find mm. excuses to blame me for, just be smart, I mean, do calculus. So you found it offensive to be called smart? Not offensive, I just, I, I found it difficult to relay that it's not about being smart it's this is what I want to do I want to become a marine biologist and this is what I got you know this is what I have to do to get there um, rather than meeting a standard um, that people had oh, oh you need to be smart to be a marine biologist or you wow. need to take these hardcore you know subjects but in reality it's I guess you become smart by learning those things but it wasn't about being smart it was about no the goal is marine biology this is, you know, these are the steps that mm. I need to take. And, and that was it. It wasn't about flexing and <laughs> being smart, but, um, you know. But it's really important because I feel like a lot of people nowadays feel they have to be the brighter, um, top of the class, have to be smart to do sciences. But you knew from the get-go, like, no, I just need to do these subjects to be a marine biologist. Uh, uh, yeah, hard out, exactly. Um, you know, it is what it is. Mm. If, you know, if that's the way to get there, then, um, I guess I need to, you know, follow that pathway, mm. and, and that's what I did. But at the same time, throughout high school, I had I had heaps of support from friends and teachers. They all knew that where I was going in terms of, you know, my subjects and career-wise. So the the support was always there, and of course, um, with family throughout high school, yeah, it was just a um, big boost, and nothing really could sway me because I had maybe it was fear or motivation or a mix of both. But um, when I tried to look at life in general, I thought, man, 
I want a career that I want, you know, that I can enjoy and, and, and love doing. So mm. if I'm going to suffer, not really suffer, but endure these next, you know, three years, 11, 12 and 13 of high school and whatever university would bring, worth it, mm. so worth it. Uh, yeah. So what were some challenges that you faced when you're doing the science, when you're studying sciences at high school? At high school? Yeah. Um, I don't think there are challenges with science itself, but, well not directly, but indirectly it would mean that I'd had to give up time, you know, with friends mm. who would go to each other's place and play Call of Duty or whatever, mm. um, or the Net Cafe. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I know, like hardcore, <laughs> back in True, the day. Yeah. You know, there were those social pressures that, oh, right. I need to stay in and I need to study because, yeah, th there's so much learning and so much information you need to take in. And um, what did you say to your friends who were like, nah, just come, just come, don't worry about it? No. Yeah, just um, no. Yeah, mm. and uh, another reason was um, the madre, my mum, uh, she would, you know, prioritise school first, school first, mm. school first. Mm. And so that was really, in, that, that was instilled besides the motivation to do so well, that, that was instilled to just keep going and, you know, yeah, I might miss out this time to, you know, jam over the weekend at the mm. net cap or something, but we're, we're talking about, you know, the rest of my life here and I want to invest in that, you know. Being yourself, that's it's like the best thing to invest in. You're, you're the best instrument you're going to, you know, ever going to own. So wow. might as well, you know, love yourself and, and mm. build you. What really helped in your journey in high school in terms of studying and just getting keeping motivation? Oh, just being just being real. <laughs> I, I I don't know how how else to put it. It's just being being real and saying, man, um, look, if this is what you want to do for the rest of your life, or you know, one of the things that you want to consider, you just need to hustle. And uh, high school, it's just a part of your life. Turned out to be one of the best, mm. you know, best times of my life. Actually, is is high school. Um, looking back at it now, but going through the challenges of studying and then social pressures, some of the things that just kept me going was knowing where I wanted to go and yep. knowing or thinking I knew the steps that I needed to take to get there. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, support from family. That's that's just never-ending, always refilling your cup and mm. um, just trying to get you to do your best and that sort of thing. But for me, at the same time, I would create my own role model. Mm. I would make it in my head and my role model would be the person that I wanted to be in the future. So I'd think, oh man, that's, you know, that's the bro that I want to be like. He's so mm. cool. He you know, has a career in this and he has, you know, inspires people and he he shares these abilities um, and conversations and everything. So I'd have all of this in my head and I think, ah, oh, that's what I'm going to be like one day. So that's wow. the sort of stuff. Because, I don't know, people would ask, oh, who's your role model? And people yeah. say, you know, yeah. The Rock and Stephen Adams and all this stuff. And I think, wow, I'm trying to think, I can't think of any. Yeah. Why not create my own? So wow. uh, some people that. might think it's a bit loserly, but nah, man, that's, that's what kept me going is creating your own role model. Mm. And it's kind of like visualization as well because it's yourself, your, your better self. And you can go through that list in your head, think of how you would look or how we, you would react in situations. So yeah, that's quite, I like that, that's very powerful. Yeah, so that was your high school years. Mm -hmm. And so you were determined to be a marine biologist. So how do you transition from high school to the next stage, university? 
Oh, yeah, no, that's um, that was interesting because although I wanted to, you know, I had this big focus on being a marine biologist, this opportunity to sign up as a helicopter pilot turned up. Whoa! <laughs> I know, uh, and this was um, this was for the Navy. Again, adventure mm, and true. purpose, you know. True. You're, uh, so I thought, oh, maybe I could consider a career as a helicopter pilot. Jeez, the oh. amount of you know work stories I could have with that. So I applied at 17, and I sat through the. Um, I did the physical test and aptitude test, and passed those. Flew through those, mm. uh, which meant I qualified for another test. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh man, shucks, I thought I was there already. Yeah. And uh, from th there are four papers we had to sit, and out of three of them, I failed one, so I wasn't allowed to progress any further, and there was a oh. six-month stand-down to reapply for that position. Uh, but at the same time, I had been offered a scholarship to... Uh, sorry, at the same time, were you still at school? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah, wow. Yeah. So I was, in my, I was in year 13, yeah, I was 17, year 13, wow. yeah, yeah. okay. And then um, you got another scholarship. I got scholarship. A, got offered a scholarship to study at AUT. So when I got that email saying, "Oh, six months stand down," um, I thought, "Nah, bolt. <laughs> taking my yeah, I'm taking that scholarship. I'm pursuing. You know, this is a sign." Wow. <laughs> so um, and th that's how I started at AUT. And that transition was exciting uh, because mm. because I had had this mentality that oh university, um, it's all self-driven, and you need yep. to be responsible. Uh, you're not going to have all these teachers on your back um, to get your assignments in. Mm -hmm. uh, man, this is cool. I can be like a, a grown-up of some sort mm. and manage my own workload. When I started at AUT, for your first year, you get mixed with a variety of students within sciences. So some okay. might be uh, pre-Cairo, uh, oh. and then you've got terrestrial scientists, uh, marine, just a variety. Mm. And so you might have 200 students in a certain lecture. That was cool. The, the first three years, well, undergrad, they were really good years because you, you meet a lot of people, mm. you get a sense of community here. Lear yeah, learning is one thing, but learning with others, you know, sharing the journey, that was cool. So do you have lectures or is it like tutorials at AUT? How does it uh, work? We have both. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So you'd have your main lecture um, and depending on the paper, they might have a tutorial mm -hmm. that you can attend later on in the week just to help reinforce uh, what you've learned or things that you've struggled and then it's an opportunity to ask questions and things like that. And so roughly how many students would be in a lecture theatre? Uh, so for the first year, some of the classes might have uh, easily over 100, mm -hmm. um, only because you had the mixture. When you began to disperse into s specific areas, marine biology or terrestrial, then you might only get 20, okay. 20 to 30 in one class. Some classes are bigger than others, so they might have to divide that paper into two separate classes. Mm -hmm. So you might get 30 here and 30 here. but. Yeah, I found that when I got into my marine-focused lectures, they were small, but it was cool because uh, lecturers made the effort to engage with you and learn your name and, you know, specifically ask what you're struggling with, and they all try to attack those questions that is, you know, suited to to your learning, um, and that that that's what was cool about it. Yeah. You didn't feel like a number, you were actually a student in yeah, the classroom yeah. talking to Yeah, I had a name, you yeah, know, you not just a, a student ID sort of thing. So, um, no, that's been bomb mm. with AUT, just community, a real big sense of community mm. and learning. Were there any other forms of support that you had during uh, university? 
inside of university? Outside? Yeah, inside, outside. Uh, yeah, so not just um, academic support, but even just support in general. In my early years, student ambassadors here, uh, just mm. good energy, you know, encouraging everyone to do their best and, um, you know, look after themselves. Uh, that, that was cool. And, and to be honest, that helped. That sense of community, again, um, helps rejuvenate your energy, refill mm. your cup, and just motivates you to just be the man, mm. you know, do your best, yeah. be bombers. Mm. So there was that, and then leading to towards the end of my um, undergrad, the Office of Pacific Advancement here at AT, uh, ultimate energy there, encouraging everyone to just do well, look, you know, they'd reach out to you, how are you, and mm. how's your studies, oh, don't forget to look after yourself, and hey, why don't you get in touch with this person, and there's there's heaps of support but at the same time you got to look for it you got to look for it right. it's not just going to come to you and yeah no it's it's cool mm. it's really it's been really cool and what about the coursework how was that comparing it to high school like was oh. it, yeah <laughs> yeah so um like with what i was saying earlier coming into uni a lot of self-driven work mm. You manage that workload, but then you realise that workload is at a different scale compared yeah. to <laughs> compared to high school. Like, this is yeah. next level. You expect me to manage this? Mm, <laughs> yeah. But um, at the same time, it was I appre- oh, when I look at it now, yeah. I, I appreciated that workload because it it kept me on my toes, keep moving, keep moving, and it taught me to just you know this is the process, mm. and it was. It could be painful, well, not emotionally, but the stress that would come with the workload, I would, I would call that some form of pain, but you know, no pain, no gain sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But you, you learn from these challenges exactly. and you, you learn to, outside of academia, you learn to manage your time and you know, your, your energy as well and what you focus. Um, but it also helps you highlight them, you know, what's important, lifestyle and family time or going out with mates and stuff. Mm. Um, you, you really begin to appreciate, ah, oh, shucks, maybe I should have gone to the net cafe in high school because <laughs> I would love to do that right now. Yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, oh yeah the workloads, they're manageable. Um, and you, I, think, I think you just realise how good the human body is. Mm, that's true. So after your bachelor's, mm-hmm. what did you do next? Um, so I did. I enrolled to, into a bachelor's with honors. After that, okay, that's a year. And that, that's a year. Yeah. yeah. For logistical reasons, mine got pushed out to a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a research project in the Solomon Islands. Whoa. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's so cool. It was really cool. Wow. So um, oh, I even did a paper on the Solomon Islands for my undergrad. Really? Yeah. Oh and my gosh. That was like my segue into getting involved with my um, honours project in wow. the Solis. Beautiful place. I mean, when you when you go been. to the outer islands and you, the marine life is redonkulously cool. Like, it's crazy. Um, but those two experiences, that undergrad paper and, and that uh, my honours project, it was really good, I guess, training grounds to getting involved with working in the marine environment in the Pacific mm. and understanding the challenges and the importance of consultation and planning and logistics and all of that. My project in the Solis was trying to identify suitable seaweed farm locations using um, the required ecological and social uh, characteristics uh, that were uh, informed. What's that? So like, <laughs> so in terms of the, oh yeah, 
don't want to be too technical. <laughs> so in terms of the ecology, understanding what conditions are needed for seaweed farms to be productive, because um, there's, there's a lot of money involved in seaweed farming. Uh, for example, in the Philippines and Indonesia, there's a lot mm. of revenue and uh, you know jobs around that. So, what do they make out of the seaweed? So I don't the, know about like sushi seaweed. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like sushi now. <laughs> um, so the the seaweed that they grow there is called capaphycus, uh, and okay. what you can extract from that is carrageenan, which is like a thickening agent. So you know how you have like gelatin to make yep. jelly. So yeah, car carrageenan is used, and when I was studying this, I thought, what? No way! But carrageenan is, is, is used in things like your shampoo or pet yeah. food or ice cream. And I, wow. I didn't realize the amount of you know the applications from the seaweed. Um, so yeah, there was there was a big purpose, not only um, you know supplying the planet with a source of carrageenan, oh. but um, providing jobs and revenue for people in the Solomon Islands. So there was, there was a big drive behind that. And so using GIS, you know, UAVs, drones and stuff, we would try and map out these areas, take that ecological information, you know, what types of waters and habitat and things mm -hmm. are needed, but also taking social information. So distances from people, from villages, do people even want oh. to? Yeah, so combining that information and chucking it all into a map. So did you talk to people in Solomon Islands for their social information? Yeah, so yeah. Um, seaweed farming experts that knew uh, this place is a suitable habitat and it's close to a village, so there is an mm. easy incentive for people to just head out 100 metres and yep. you know, look after these seaweed farms. And then again, you know, they, they can earn money. Mm -hmm. So there's things like that because um, at the moment one of the big money makers there is logging. What? Logging. Logging. So cutting down really heaps of trees. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. So there's um, big projects going on there, but you know if you can oh. go. What type of trees? <laughs> it won't be pine trees, no. No, uh, no, I don't think pine. I think um, there are teak plantations there, um, mm. but then there are some other big trees wow. that I've seen being cut down, and so, so that yeah, that's one of the big you know, money makers there. Mm -hmm. But if we can turn the attention to seaweed, then it's something that's, it, it's sustainable. It just keeps yeah. going. You don't need to feed it. Obviously you need to look after it, make sure heaps of fish don't go eat it all and everything. Mm -hmm. But it just keeps going and going. Um, so how do that, how does it actually grow? I don't know the so process. So the way, the way they do the farming is you'd have like a shallow uh, sandy area. Um, it might only be less than a meter deep. And you'd have these two uh, wooden or metal bars pinned into the sand, and between the bars you'd have a, a rope. Yeah. And farmers would go out and just snap a piece of this capaphycus and attach it to the rope, maybe mm. in 50 centimeter, you know, segments. Just keep going, going along that rope, and then just over, you'd have heaps of these rows. Yeah. And then over eight weeks, eight weeks, weeks or months, weeks they'd just grow and then you'd take your clipping and you'd harvest it and you, you'd either sell it wet weight or dry weight. I think you'd sell it uh, dry weight. Dry weight? Yeah. So then how long would they have to dry it? Uh, it I'm, I'm not too sure. Mm. But the way they'd do it is they'd bring it onto land and then um, they'd have it on these tables to keep it off the sand, mm. keep it clean um, and just let them dry out. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
now and then that someone would come in with a boat to you know buy it dry weight farm gate prices would always fluctuate so how much they'd actually make is up and down and things like that and then what would the locals use that for the, the seaweed they, the locals wouldn't use it oh they don't but they'd sell oh, it to okay. um, carrageenan processing companies that would actually oh. turn it into its form that you know that you can use it for products like ice cream or mm. toothpaste or shampoo or pet food. Mm. So they don't currently eat seaweed in the Solomon yeah. Islands? Not common. You can eat different types of seaweed like... Um, oh, oh, the, the, the might, bubble one, eh? Yeah, do they have that in right. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's like... Limo, like sea grapes. Limo, limo. Yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Because actually I had in my mind that long seaweed. Oh, uh, the it, um, Yeah, actually, like what does it look type? like? Yeah, what does it look like? It's, it's like, um, oh, jeez, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's clumpy and it's like thick and... You can branches, see it branches out. It's like branchy. Okay. Yeah. You can send me a picture actually. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Show everyone. Yeah. yeah. I've got some like GoPro footage of oh, you know, cool. going through the farms and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Not easy. But um, yeah, basically it was trying to identify farms so that you can, instead of spending a lot of time out on boats trying to find these places, if you use you know geospatial science and throw all this information together and chunking it onto a map, you can see, ah, oh, according to the data, this place is suitable it's close to a village it's mm. um, the ecological um, factors you know in our favor we can put a farm here and then you can identify all these parts and then you know you're, you're saving so much time mm. going out and spending money on gas and all of that where you can just look at a computer and say ah oh, yeah these spots are good these spots are bad because there's a lot of turtles in that area and they graze and yeah you know that sort of thing but um, that was my my honors project and that was um, really cool a really cool experience doing work in the Pacific and getting a tan and <laughs> you know, all of that, you know, all, all for science. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's quite a, was it a like bold moment for you? Because you, um, when you go back to high school, you know, you had to do the sciences, but you also loved your outdoor. So it's like a com combination. Uh, yeah. yeah so um, it was a light bulb moment for two reasons. One, yeah, I think I want to do, you know, more research in the Pacific. Mm. And then there was a, another light bulb moment, which was, but not on seaweed and... And that's good. <laughs> you, you know what uh, you don't like. Yeah, what you it was, like, yeah. Which, which is, um, people would look at me like, what? Why don't you just continue doing the same topic? Because, you know, you already developed some sort of, not expertise, but a level of knowledge, knowledge where you can yeah. carry on easily. Yeah. I, I'd have to explain to them, well, no, actually I, sp I spent a year on it and I'm quite confident that I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, and then um, leading up to my PhD, I realized, you know, if I'm gonna do a PhD, I want it to be something that I love and that I want to wake up to, you know. Mm. Uh, so I thought, shucks, why don't I take it back home, um, Mitearo in, in the Cook Islands. So then I developed an idea to to do exactly that you know wow. a PhD that I'm going to enjoy doing and at the same time I'm, I'm re-engaging re with my you know my family's community and mm. culture so I'm, I'm you know getting two birds with one stone here academia and that that homeness mm. so it's um really cool really really cool so how did you um, set up your PhD I guess um, like applying and funding. Yeah, so um, a big boost uh, for me was um, I, I applied for the AET's Vice Chancellor Scholarship, which um, pretty much pays for your PhD, and they give you um, monthly allowance or like stipend to support mm -hmm. you. 
um, because a PhD is a full-time role and so you're expected to um, treat it like a full-time job which was hard at first but then you realize yeah it is a full-time job mm. you need to commit but you and you get more comfortable with that idea as time goes on sometimes <laughs> <laughs> sometimes um, that that really has helped me on the financial side of things mm. um, because you know I'm just quite passionate about um, affording food and stuff but <laughs> someone's got to eat <laughs> yeah. <somewhere else. laughs> we have to eat <laughs> yeah oh but um, so that's really helped not just financially but mentally I don't need to worry too much about mm. um, getting away from my studies or my research and having to work and, and, and what have you and then how did you decide your supervisors so when you do PhD uh, you need to have supervisors yeah. and it's quite important because they're going to support you throughout the three years so how did you choose those people yeah so my um, my primary supervisor he um, he's the one who actually physically awarded me with my scholarship Mm. at uh, Onehunga High School at our prize giving. Wow, full and <laughs> Yeah, I know. So it's like it's like almost movie material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when he um, handed me my certificate, he whispered to me while I was up on the stage, he said, hey, look, um, can we catch up later? I need to talk to you. And I said, excuse me? Mm. <laughs> you know, he wasn't talking to any other students. And he said, look, uh, just when we're, um, everyone's eating, I'll, I'll, I'll meet with you, we'll, we'll catch up. Oh, all right, cool. Everyone clapped, I walked off the stage. All the award recipients met up and their families having some kai and eating. And um, I bumped into him and he said, oh, look, I just wanted to talk to you because when I received your application, you know, I, I, I read it and I, it probably took me about 10 days and I'm freaking out at the stage mm, like, oh no, he's, reg yeah. he's regretting yeah. it and yeah. oh no, shucks. Yeah. And he goes, it took me around 10 days to realize that you're the, you're the first Pacific Islander that's received this AUT scholarship. And, you know, and I thought, wait, what? Are you serious? Yeah. And I thought, woo! I was mad first. <laughs> I'm like... Really? All this time? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, oh, you did bomb. that. Yeah, yeah. You did that. So um, he even he even started saying to me, you know, I've, I've already I've been planning for you. I've, don't worry, got it sussed out. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you your degree, and we might even send you to another university. Uh, uh, nah, I've got it all laid out. And you're 17, and having 17, something to eat. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, uh, cool, like, take it easy, bro. Like, I don't even know your name. <laughs> you haven't even introduced yourself, but <laughs> all good. <laughs> so um, th that fella, he, uh, he helped me. He didn't actively help me. He would help me when I'd ask for help uh, uh -huh. throughout my undergrad. And uh, uh -huh. I'd approach him and say, hey, look, I don't understand this process. How does it work? And, you know, he'd... he'd go through it step by step but he was also he runs the Solomon Islands paper here at AUT ah. and I, I don't know of any other institute that does a Pacific Island paper and so he mm. he told me to do that paper and which I did and loved it was, it was just awesome ah. and he helped to build help me build up skills that would be beneficial in Pacific research both in that paper and even in my honours research. Wow. So uh, when it got to my PhD, I thought, okay, I want to do something at home in the Cooks, and I need someone to help me help me navigate that journey. Mm. And I'll think about all the others, and there's, there was quite a few people, but was, I thought, nah, this guy, I need to, you know, like you said, yeah. complete the circle. And not only that, he would he was the only one that would 
or could understand the importance of Pacific Island research, you know, marine life and uh, community. So I, I went up to him and I said, hey, um, I want to do a PhD and I would appreciate it if you'd consider being my supervisor. And I laid out what I wanted to do. It was just real broad. I probably couldn't have chosen a better supervisor for, for that role because he's he's been one of maybe the only one who can actually understand uh, the depth and importance mm. of uh, ethnography, so studying culture as well as science, which is which is what my PhD revolves around. That's so helpful because he gets it. You don't have to explain to them all what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just you walk up and like, I want to do this. He's like, yeah, I know yeah. What you mean. He's he's crack up. So it's just what makes it funny is he's Iranian. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like Kiwi. <laughs> no, but he's the most Kiwi, he's the most poly-Iranian I've ever oh met gosh. in my life. I honestly, I'm not even joking. So, which is, which is what makes it, that's what makes it so funny is he gets, he understands all of this. His mm. wife is from the Solomon Islands and he's, mm. you know, he, he did a lot of his PhD. Oh, his, he did his PhD in the Solis mm. probably when I was a child. So he gets it and he yeah. gets me and he gets the drive the incentive he understands the process we don't have any polynesians or well, pacific islanders in um in our faculty in in, in ecology mm -hmm. so he's the best that i'm going to get and and to be honest he's blooming good eh? yeah like just because he understands so um he's helped shape or help help me shape my research and and things like that so it's been um, no real mm. grateful for him too that's so yeah. important to have those people there i was just thinking um how was your experience as a pacific kakuk island person going through university being you know from the cooks and from fiji i when i first started at aut that was one of the things I highlighted. In, in first year, there, there was a mix of, you know, us PIs and stuff like that. Um, but not many, not many. But it became more apparent when we started to divide off into our specific areas. For my second year and just a bit of my third year, I was the only PI. Uh, there, there was another another guy. Uh, he was a um, Tongan fella. Cool, cool dude. Still keep in touch now and then. But still, there was there, there weren't many. Well, two's not many. No. <laughs> um, and no. It, it's weird because I've noticed that there's a lot of negative energy around that sort of stuff in terms of, oh man, I'm the only one and, and that sucks. But for me, I was like, whoa, bro, I'm, I'm the only one, whoa, represent, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm happy to be that token fella. Yeah. And, and, and it's more of an incentive to do well mm. because there's few of us here, man, I'm, I'm going to be the best mm. I can and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show that, yeah, man, we can make it into this space. But as I was saying, there's, there's so much negative energy around it that, oh, there's, there's not many of us in this space. Oh, it's it's the university's fault or it's the system's fault yep. and but i i never saw that going through my undergrad it was more like a nah, I'm, you know i'm responsible for my learning and i'm i'm going to make sure you know this is top notch i'm, I'm going to be the best me um, that i can and you know if, if people want to flex off the energy of being a pi in science then hard out let's mm, do it you know mm. let's grow but i'm not going to I don't want to be use it negatively. I don't want it. I don't want to be fueled through negativity. I want to. Yeah. I want to be so proactive about. Ah, yeah. There's not many of us, so that's an incentive to just be the best. Mm. And you know, if I'm not going to be represented in numbers, I'm going to be represented in effort. And wow. um, you know, that's that was my energy. So 
that, that's why undergrad was such a cool time because I could flex that mm. and I just got on with so many people. The energy was a byproduct of um, you know, being the only PI. I, I think it's not something to be, I don't think proud is the right word, but something to appreciate and not really look down upon. If you're the only PI in that space, it's not because PIs aren't meant to be here, it's just we're not in that space yet. We're wow. growing, we're, we're so growing. And I think we put so much pressure on um, Māori and Pacifica people that, you know, oh, we're underrepresented in these spaces. It might be, it might be the government's fault or mm. it might be the institute's mm. fault. But really, what if a lot of us just don't want to be in the space? And that's okay. If, if my brother, you know, from Tonga wants to be a tradie, man, you, you chase yeah. it, man. I, I'm not going to put you down from not being a scientist. Or, exactly. And I think at the end of the day, it, it's, you, we just got to support all of, you know, everyone in, in, in pursuing what they want to pursue. Bouncing off that energy of being in indigenous and just being positive about mm. it, no, no negativity. If I do something, you know, if I perform poorly in my studies, that's my fault. Mm. I haven't performed poorly, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. But um, you know, that's my fault, I'll take responsibility for that and I'm not going to put the blame on my family or mm. friends and stuff. This is a lesson for me, but yeah, like I said, just using, not being lonely, but being alone, um, they're two different things. Using being alone as, a, as the token PI, mm -hmm. I use it as good energy mm. that, man, this is cool. This is my opportunity to help influence or inspire that, yeah, we can do it if you want to do it. If you want to do it, then man, you just, you, you chase wow. it. Find why you want to do it. That's very half, um, what is it? The glass is half full. The glass is yeah, half full. And I always, just oh, just now I got that um, no negative energy vibe from you because <laughs> when you're talking about back in high school where people are saying oh you have to be smart to do science you're like nah I just had to do the sciences and my stats leave me alone I'm gonna <laughs> do my work and then here you are just being comfortable in the space is only PI and taking a really positive vibe on it yeah because I feel like in media it's always the negative side of it there's not enough we need more people this is not good enough rah, 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 rah. Mm. so I love that take on it that's really that's really cool yeah I think it's a, um, a big step you know and it's a massive process especially mm. today with um, a lot of pressure on Māori and Pacifica people getting involved with sciences STEM mm. um, which I encourage and that's cool if people want to get into that space then mm. hard out but at the same time it's like ah. Oh, why do we, this is something for me to learn, why do we need representation in these spaces? And mm. I'm still going through the process of learning that and um, I'm happy to admit that. I, I'm still learning of, uh, you know, the politics or mm. the um, socialness of us being within workspaces. My current frame of mind is, yeah, we might be underrepresented in this space, um, but maybe because people don't want to be here and we need to respect that. Mm. I, I want to respect um, any Pacific, uh, Pacifica or Māori person that doesn't want to be in science. Mm. But yeah, I, I use it as good energy to do so well and while I'm at it, I'm going to encourage others and if they want to do it, then cool. I've, yeah. I've, that's, a, that's a bonus, that's a byproduct, is the success of another Pacifica mm. um, or Māori or anyone really. If you're influencing someone to pick their career path or their lifestyle, then ah, that, that's, I'm, I'm happy, mm. I'm happy with that. So for those who are 
thinking about getting into science and think they maybe could see themselves in the Solomon Islands, <laughs> getting a tan, <laughs> growing some seaweed, what would be some advice that you would give to those people? Honestly, it's, it's not, being, not being afraid to ask. When you, when you, obviously when you're at university or even high school, um, I know there, there is that feeling of hierarchy with your lecturers and the professors mm -hmm. and what have you, but at the end of the day, if you need to overcome those hierarchies with respect, and, and be confident and say, hey, no, um, look, Mr. So-and-so or yada, yada, I don't understand this. I want to understand it and I want to be able to do this at the end of the, the day. Mm. Um, tell me how, please. Just being real upfront with your goals and networking with those that can help you get there. It's, it's just a matter of so being for, real. for someone who's shy, like myself when I was in high school, what's a good start to ask a question because sometimes like you know I get quite nervous mm. if I want to ask oh, a question so yeah. like how would I start out absolutely yeah, and that's it. so normal that yeah. is so so normal and we, we you know it, it's everywhere um, even with me like um, mm -hmm. you know I, I get to that point where I might be standing outside of uh, a lecturer's office and I'm thinking mm. ah, do, do I need uh, no nah, man this is my life yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, it's getting into a mentality that this is, this is for you, you know, this is, like I said, you're investing in yourself here. Get over that barrier, just push through, you can, you can do it. Start off slow, it might be easy questions, and then through those easy questions, you slowly build that rapport with your lecturer or whoever you're looking up to or mm. that you need advice from. You build that rapport, and along with that rapport, as a byproduct, that confidence. Mm. And then you start leading up to the bigger questions. I want to go to the Solomons, yes. or I want to go to Saar, I want to go to Cooks. How do I get there? What is your advice? If you need to start slow, man, then start slow. This is, mm. this is you, but make sure you fix that mindset that you're, you're investing in yourself, the best instrument you're ever going to have, mm. and you just keep going slowly. Whatever, whatever you need to get through and answer that question and get into science and do research in the Pacific, you know your drives, you know your motivation. Mm and that's all that matters. It's just being able to share that with others so that they can help you, you know, help direct you to achieve that. Wow. I think that's an important point, sharing your goals with other people, because then they, when they think, when they're in a situation, they might think, oh, Amy mentioned something about seaweed or something. And so yeah. I, I think that's really good advice because yeah, I kind of keep my goals close, like, oh, someone might think, oh, those are stupid goals. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, yeah. Th and that's so real. Yeah. Um, and at times, sometimes I don't want to share my goals in case someone tries to steal them or, or, or yeah. something, you know? Yeah, as well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's like, and that's for each individual to weigh up, you know, in mm. their situation. Do I think this person might steal my ideas or do I think this person's uh, going to ridicule me? Mm. Advertising your goals has surprised me so much in the past where people that I've met two, two years ago um, where I shared my goals or ideas has come back into my life and has said, hey, I remember a couple of years ago you were talking about um, like getting involved with waka and traditional sailing mm. and um, you know, navigation. Yeah, and so now it's happened. I'm being a part of uh, traditional sailing and waka, but that's just an example. Sharing your goals or ideas with some people, you just never know um, how it might, or if it might come to fruition in the future, 
and ah, mm. it's just like it's like the laws of attraction at play and all these positive energies just mm. making it happen for you but yeah sharing your goals being and being real with yourself about your goals too could you talk a bit more about the traditional sailing traditional sailing yes oh. please <laughs> that sounds so cool <laughs> oh okay yeah so um two years ago <laughs> Uh, I went to New York for um, the Ocean Conference at the UN Ooh. headquarters oh on behalf of like the Aotearoa Youth Leadership Institute. Oh. And that was, that was an interesting experience, getting to learn more about the ocean. And one of our delegates, uh, he, he introduced the program or the idea that um, some people are practicing in New Zealand, um, mm. which is you know, traditional navigation and um, you know, these traditional waka or waka. Or va'a. Mm. And I said to him, man, that sounds so cool. I didn't realize we had such a thing. I'd love to get involved. And he said, yeah, bro, um, oh, I'll just flick you a link to the um, Facebook page. Anyway, c coming back to New Zealand, I I'm not sure if he did <laughs> link me to the Facebook page. <laughs> but fast forward a couple of years later to now, mm. um, I was trying to network to help me with my PhD with someone over in the Cook Islands. Mm. And I said, hey, could we meet up? And she said, oh, sorry, look, I'm out of the country. Oh, but by the way, did you know our Cook Island vaka Marumaruatua's in um, Auckland at the moment? Wow. And I said... The uh, timing of it I, I was like, wait, timing. what? And um, she was like, yeah, it's being repaired. Um, you should go help out. I'm thinking, um, I wanted to meet up with you to help me with my studies. <laughs> uh, this not, is not humble. <laughs> yeah, not repair a vaka, but... Uh, and she said, look, and if you know what's good for you, you you'll talk to people. And I thought, ah. Okay, <laughs> fine. So I, I turned up, uh, they, they had volunteers go over the weekend and so I'd go up and repair, rep, help repair things. And Had you repaired a boat before? Nope. Oh, right. <laughs> nope, not at all. So it was, it was, although I've done a lot of like the work needed, sanding and varnishing and what okay. have you. But it was cool learning on the job mm. too. And over, over about five weeks of helping out, um, there was discussion amongst you know the workers about returning the vaka back to the Cook Islands. Mm. I thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I remember my mate two years ago talking about you know sailing on these sort of waka. I remember talking to some of the workers. I said, hey, um, how do I get involved? You know, and that sort of thing. And someone was saying, oh, you just ask the captain. Just ask the captain. I'm like, Surely it doesn't work like that. And uh, another guy had come up and he, he seemed like a higher up. And I said, hey. Um, how does one get involved with voyaging? Mm. Uh, and he said, oh, you mean like um, like the one coming up, returning the vaka back to the Cook Islands? And I said, oh, that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we'll go from there. <laughs> and he said, have you sailed before? And I said, uh, not properly, no, not really. And he said, oh, look, bro, I, um, I would give this one a miss. Uh, this is, okay. you know, this is big ocean stuff we're talking about here. <laughs> so what does the vaka look like? Is it like the one in Moana or? Yep. Yeah. Yep, but uh, a lot bigger. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's not I, like I a fancy yacht. <laughs> no, but we do, um, we do have solar panels on there, you know, like our ancestors. Yes. <laughs> like our ancestors. Yeah. He said, look, nah, bro, this is, um, this is big ocean stuff we're talking about, you know, dangerous. And I mean, mm. uh, that's exactly what I was expecting. I've seen enough movies to appreciate yeah. that. And, um, after you know at the end of the day we're having a cup of tea and stuff and they're all talking about previous voyages they've had mm. and rough waves and weather and everything and the guy that said you know give it a miss he says see ant um, you think you could handle that and I said well that's exactly what I was expecting it's all part of the experience really isn't it and I 
I took that as a segue to quickly ask the captain, which he was a stern guy, you didn't want to you know, piss him off or mm. anything. I said, hey, um, Cap, uh, can I come? <laughs> and he looked at me, no like flinch of a smile or smirk or anything, and he just said, yep. I thought, what? <laughs> just like that, easy. So um, a few weeks later, I had filled in a formal application and you know medical and all that stuff mm. um, that I wanted to do this voyage and I got a phone call and it was from one of the Māori captains that operates just in Auckland here and mm -hmm. he said hey bro I've read your application and um, I'd just like to offer you a spot on the vaca to return it to wow. the cooks. I said, oh, hey, um, no, that's, that's really cool. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, when, when, when are we going? Uh, next week, Wednesday? Oh, <laughs> Wednesday. Oh. Okay, I guess I should tell my supervisor. I guess I should tell my mum too. <laughs> wow. And, um, yeah, it, it was just real fast paced. We met up the next Wednesday or Thursday and learning about health and safety and um, looking after one another and protocol. We just did it, uh, and mm. honestly, it was. We sailed from Auckland City to Rarotonga. Um, it took about 19 days, and you're just forced to learn quickly. And our captain and and our watch captains did a really good job of making sure that the crew were up to speed with tasks and appreciation. I guess mm. Th they didn't really have to teach that. It just came with the voyage and. These are people that I've never met before, and a few of us had never sailed before. So oh it was like a, a lot of pressure to learn on the job, um, handle with you know your seasickness and. How many people were on the vaca? Uh, fourteen. Uh, yeah, fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. It's not very big, is it? The vaca. Not, not this. Oh, it could house sixteen. But wow. no, it's, it, no, it's not massive. That's like, a lot. I could show you pictures. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the one in Samoa, the Ngalofa, and oh, it's small. It's like that. Oh my gosh, because yeah. got I got to walk through it, they had like an open day. Oh sweet. Yeah, 14 people, wow. Yeah, I know a couple of people that have um, sailed oh. on that. And uh, yeah, the, um, the community involved with Waka Life is just... Wow, 14 it's, It adds, for, for me personally, it adds like a, a, an entire new dimension to my appreciation of um, ocean life. Mm. Uh, it's like my big cultural fix outside of academia mm. and it, it enforces a why I get involved with this stuff. Um, so being able to sail with my crew and, and learn from them, I learned so much, but there's still so much to learn. So it's like when people call me, a, oh you're a navigator or you're a voyager, <laughs> like that's like calling me a bodybuilder after going mm. to the gym once, <laughs> that's gotcha. that sort gotcha. of thing. So did you use the stars? How did you navigate? I wasn't responsible for the actual navigation, but the captain um, would, you know, keep us on course. But the stars played a huge part in mm. making sure we're on track. And I'm, I'm talking about we would struggle if we couldn't see the stars at night. Mm. It was so much easier to navigate, you know, where we're going at night than it was during yes. the day. Yeah. Because at during the day, you'd make a reference point of where the sun came out mm. and keeping in mind that the sun moves and you'll need to readjust every half an hour or an hour or so because in reference to the position of the sun oh. but using the sun really during like midday isn't really I, I found it hard so what we'd use is the swells the direction in which the swells would come at us so say for example at six o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. you have the sun come out and you make your reference point cool mm -hmm. now you've got a solid reference point but at the same time you know how the waves are coming oh, right. yeah yeah 
So then when the sun's all the way up here, you know how the waves should be hitting your, you know, your vaka and oh, holding that line in order line. to, oh. yeah. I didn't know that, that's cool. Uh, is, honestly, oh. um, the captain taught us so much, heaps, and I'm so grateful for all of them, really. The amount of- I imagine of, the swell's quite strong out in the ocean. Like, it's quite obvious you can see. Yeah, so yeah. it would depend on like the weather conditions mm. and stuff, and you'd have like either really large swells or you know, fast ones yeah. and, um, you know, waves and everything, but you just, you, you could feel it. You could feel how these waves or these swells would hit the vaka. But at night time, that was the easiest. Even though you can't see anything, it's like pitch black. If the moon's not out, it's, you can't see anything. Mm. Um, and I guess you're not too worried about hitting any land or uh, mm. boats and stuff because you're in the middle of the South Pacific. You would make reference points from stars that would have just expose themselves because mm. that would be like the best point because like the sun um, and the moon they they move so yeah. you, you can't always use that same star because right. it's shifting and you'd always pick different reference points or stars mm. uh, throughout the evening so we'd my watch my group we'd get up at 10 p.m mm -hmm. and clock off at 2 a.m and so we had a obviously relied so much on stars at that point but when it got cloudy it was like, oh no <laughs> and you can't well, really you can't really see the waves or the swells, but you sort of feel it. And it's like, sometimes you'll just get a glimpse of a star. Like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Oh. <sighs> and then sometimes you know roughly what time the moon will come out. Um, so that would be, you know, stark bright behind the clouds uh -huh. or at some point in the night. But then it would get harder because as we we're heading towards getting closer to the Cook Islands, you know, there's a time shift. Oh. So then we'd start seeing the moon 10, 10.30, and then it would be out to 11, and then 12, and then we just wouldn't see the moon at all on our like shift because of that two hour difference between New Zealand and the Cook Islands. What were the name of the stars that you were looking for? Uh, well, the, the biggest ones, were the obvious ones were, you'd have the Southern Cross, yeah, um, and then you would have the pointers, which come from the Southern Cross, and one that I loved being able to identify was um, Maui's hook mm. um, or Scorpio mm. and so that would be that would be out during our watch and it would you know slowly move through the sky and then eventually be directly above mm. and then for me personally since I'm, <laughs> I'm no expert I'd just pick any random star and, okay that really <laughs> bright one I need that one to stay in between that rope and that rope right in the center and oh, that would be my reference that's how you point. would reference yeah Oh. And then half an hour would pass by and it would have moved out and I'd pick a different one. Ah, I need that star to be outside of the rope just by a little bit. And then I'd hold that line, oh. that sort of thing, yeah. So you hold the line until a different star, until it moves? Out yeah, of the yeah. So, so you get a feel that the st star's moved. Yeah. Um, and then you'd pick a different reference point. If we did get off course, uh, yeah, we'd get told off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you wouldn't Where want to repeat. Yeah. Uh, guys, we're almost back in Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> but oh yeah. No. What did you eat? What do you eat on the boat? Oh my gosh, what did we eat? <laughs> uh, a lot of those meals were better than the meals that we had at home. Really? <laughs> yeah, the captain would, ah, oh, he's an excellent cook. He, 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 he would cook every meal, probably from all the meals that we had on the vaka, he, he prepared 95, at least 95% of them. Um, and we're talking about salmon, and we're talking about you know steak and pork wow. chops and and we had um, a vegan and vegetarian on board and everyone was happy to accommodate for that honestly and some of the, their meals 
it would be like, oh, you want to pinch some of their, their vegan meal because it's actually really nice. Oh but you've got to make sure that you save it for, <laughs> you know. Um, so did you have a little freezer on board? Or uh, yeah, yeah. Um, ah. And that's what the solar panel was for, uh, to I keep see. that going. And obviously um, safety equipment uh, in case of an emergency mm. and keeping... We, we do have motors on board. Yeah. And that those are really useful, especially when you're leaving or entering a port because you don't want to rely on a wind to, you know, oh, park right. you up nicely oh, up yeah. to a, you know, a wharf or what have you. Mm. But, um, yeah. And what about the toilet situation, like showering? Oh, <laughs> showering. So, yeah, like I said, 19 days out on the water, I had about um, four showers, okay. uh, which was just buckets of seawater and soap. That Salty. Yeah, <laughs> just, just a little bit. And soap that wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to mix it with the water. Pretty stink, really. Yeah. Uh, literally. <laughs> um, but that's expected when you go on those voyages. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah and it, it added to the experience and um, there'd be small windows to actually have a wash um, where you'd be at the front of the vodka with your buckets of water and you know, the, you know, the sun's out, cool, perfect time. That's only if you're not working though. Oh, okay. So, you know, if you're on deck and you're, you're open to helping out, mm. you've got to help out where you can. But if you're not, you know, on, on watch or whatever, then you're allowed to have a rest and sleep, mm. which people would do. Um, you get your pattern and you'd sleep during the day mm. for three or four hours. Get up, help out where you can and teach where you can or be taught where you can. Mm. Um, because, you know, it wasn't just stars and um, stuff, but it was also understanding the sail, understanding how to harness the wind to get your vaka moving forward. Mm. Um, and working together to get our mama maru maruatua home um, so there was a lot of cultural and vibe and lessons to the whole thing. And uh, honestly, it's I'm, I'm never going. Uh, you know, I'm never gonna stop. It's mm. it's like a I, I I want to be on the vodka right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just so I, I I love it. I loved it. And um, there's just so much to grow and so much community and um, a lot of a lot of knowledge involved with it. You mm. know, um, considering that's what our ancestors did and how they navigated the ocean using stars and currents you know ocean currents and um, like stick maps and ah it's amazing no mm. it's cool I'm keeping that one for life I think I love that that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> so for people who are wanting to ask you questions or just have a chat with you and get in touch is there somewhere that they can contact you oh geez it's a hard one Facebook yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your Instagram? Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> yeah. How do you spell it? Uh, so it's like Ansta, A N T S T A, then G R A A M. Oh. I don't know how many A's there are, and I don't know how many. I'll link it for you guys. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then yeah, your I'll Facebook. <laughs> and then yeah, Face Tribute. You got um, Antavavia. Cool. Yeah, um, I'm thinking of starting a YouTube channel. Um, yes. So watch this Because you've got, you got GoPro, eh? Yeah. Oh, so you'd have some really cool footage. Especially with all my like diving and um, even just going <sighs> in the outdoors and um, fishing and man, um, be so cool. and vaca life. Honestly, I, I want to be able to document and show people, man, you know, get involved, do mm. it, because uh, there are people who are out, you know, out in the world that don't get to see these things, and um, I want to be part of that train that documents it. Through a format that people can enjoy and rewatch and relive. So beautiful. Yeah, watch the space. Yes. <laughs> and any last comments that you want to make before we finish? Yeah, just uh, reiterating um, 
in terms of marine biology, that's something that I love and I wanted to get mm. into. At the end of the day, for, for our people out there, it's what you want to do. You know, be real with yourself. Treat yourself too. So if, if it's got anything to do with study or work, make sure you put time aside to you know, respect yourself and um, you know, go get that bubble tea yeah, or yes. whatever. Or yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But um, self-respect self and um, having a break. You know, the body can only tolerate so much. You know, like I said, you're an instrument. You're the best instrument you're ever mm. going to own. And uh, it's, it's a matter of investing in yourself and looking after yourself, no matter what career um, or what scientific degree you want to work towards. But, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ant. No, thank, thank you, you so much for having me. Yeah. <laughs> All good. Thank you so much for listening to the Salmon Scientist podcast. If you have any more questions or comments, just message me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And please ask me questions. I'm here to help. Mm-hmm.